0: blog talk radio
1: hello and welcome to know-it-all the abc's of education remember to listen to us live every tuesday at 10 a.m. or at any time from the comfort of your computer at blogtalkradio.com At Know It All, we have candid conversations about the education issues that impact your community and the real-life solutions to education issues that you face every day. We aim to make you a know-it-all about education law, policy, and practice as it affects you. I am your host, Allison R. Brown of Allison Brown Consulting, AVC. I'm a civil rights attorney with expertise in the laws that require equity in public education regardless of students' background or characteristics. Keep up with me at AllisonBrownConsulting.com. My guest host is Alexis J. Smith of Entitled to Educate. Good morning, Alexis. Good morning, Allison. She's a community engagement and parent empowerment specialist. Check her out at EntitledToEducate.com. Today we are talking about what is called social emotional learning, a strategy that ensures that the healthy development of children and educators, especially in the wake of the recent shootings in schools in Newtown, Connecticut and near Bakersfield, California, there has been much discussion about gun control, school safety, and mental health. Educators, students, parents, politicians, lobbyists, everybody is desperately seeking effective ways to address mental health in schools. Social-emotional learning is a tried and tested method of providing students with the support that they need to be socially and emotionally healthy. One of the beautiful things about social-emotional learning is that it is not solely student-focused. It has the potential to impact every person in the school building. The result can be improved school culture, equitable and fair school discipline practices, and a general sense of respect and mutual trust in schools. My guests today are proponents of social-emotional learning, and they have developed and implemented SEL programs around the country. Dr. Hector Montenegro is a District Systems Development Senior Advisor at the Collaborative for Academic Social and Emotional Learning, CASEL, Uh, and he's also a former superintendent. I should be clear that he is speaking in his own personal capacity. Mr. Rob Schamberg is also a former superintendent and a senior district advisor for CASEL. He has worked closely with school districts to implement SEL with, with fidelity. Good morning to you both. Thank you for joining us. Good morning. Thank
0: you for having us. We're delighted to talk about
2: this today.
1: Well, why don't we start, Dr. Montenegro, with you. Will you tell us how long social-emotional learning has been around and explain what it is?
2: Well, I think social-emotional learning has been around for quite a long
1: time. It's, uh,
2: it's Probably in the last few decades, it has really taken on the form of uh, a more formative research. And uh, most recently in our era of accountability, I think there's a critical need in education to look at a more balanced approach to educating children. But social-emotional learning, I think, has had an impact on education, I think, uh, since the time beginning. And and we can all remember when teachers have impacted us
1: uh, when we were children.
2: And I think the most important thing that we do remember is how we have been treated as as students. And I know I can recall uh, some of my best teachers. I, I can't recall the lessons that they actually taught, but I certainly can recall the way that they treated us. And I think in this day and age that we are looking at 21st century skills that are highly uh, collaborative, interactive, uh, project-based. We, we live in a global society. And it's very important that uh, in education that we uh, move forward with helping children to understand diversity and also uh, being able to work effectively with each other. And so I think it's been an education for a long time. But uh, there's been more and more research uh, to really validate the critical need to have a more balanced opposed to education.
1: Great. And Mr. Schamberg, what does social emotional learning look like at the school level? How do you implement it?
0: At the school level, uh think about a three-legged stool. One is uh one leg is in teaching social and emotional competence uh to children. Uh so excuse me. Um and so uh in the areas of sorry about that uh, in the areas of self-awareness, self-management, social awareness, relationship skills, and responsible decision making, so oftentimes uh what you'll see is a uh, an actual lesson that's that's directly taught uh in which students learn these skills. Uh, Then the second leg of that stool is essentially uh, culture and climate, is how are we taking all of those skills and making sure that our adults have them, that they're treating students with with the respect uh, and treating one another with respect. It's the kind of thing that you know it within two minutes of walking into that school or walking into that classroom. You know that it's present and there are ways, uh, to, to engender that in a school. And then the third piece is that there's really a, a set of pedagogy uh, around, uh, around these skills. And one might say that social and emotional learning is just plain good teaching. It's engaging all students. It's taking a look at what their needs are. Uh, it's developing an, an interest and making sure that there are relationships that are being built as we learn.
1: And I have I've heard counselors and others talk about the five competencies and, and um, you know, the three S's and the two R's, and particularly with respect to re- relationship building and um, making sure that there is this mutual resp- respect and trust of one another in school buildings. Um, Dr. Gabor Mate is the author of Hold On to Your Kids, Why Parents Need to Matter More Than Peers. And he talks about making sure that children feel safe, supported, and nurtured. This has to be so, I would imagine, for children to be engaged in their learning. Um, And he also talks about the tremendously negative effects that stress can have on our bodies and on our psyches. I think students today are experiencing very, very high levels of stress Um, You know, stress to perform in school, Uh, what will they do when they finish school, stress from their home environment and stress from the news. You know, I, I was never, as a child, I was never fearful that a crazed gunman would come into my school and start shooting. It was never a part of my reality when I was a student. Mr. Schamberg, help us to understand what all of this means for educators, especially for children who may be in an alternative school setting or who don't come from an environment where they are safe and protected out, outside of school? What can educators do to keep children feeling safe, supported, and nurtured?
0: Well, if you just take a look at just the one category of self-awareness, there's five skills within self-awareness that uh, the Collaborative for Academic, Social, and Emotional Learning has has labeled and and developed and, and done research on. Uh, and so in these areas of self-awareness, uh, the, the first one's labeling one's feelings, which is, um, you know, it's us. It's us. It's stressful on families. It's stressful on the adults. It's stressful on the children to just get out the door every day. Um, and parents can probably relate to that feeling of, of, you know we have five minutes, and you don't want to wear those shoes um uh and and the frustration that that is is being felt so um we are children are walking into school with a lot of stresses, so just being able to label your feelings about how how did the morning go to even spend time thinking about that, analyzing that um and then. Uh, another self awareness skill is relating feelings and thoughts to behavior, and so how do I feel this morning and to be able to connect to um to the behaviors that that i'm going to um that I'm going to act upon or 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 exhibit uh this morning and uh and as as the students starting the day inaccurate assessment of the strengths, of their own strengths and of the challenges of the day. We want students to have um, self-efficacy, meaning that they believe that they can get done what needs to get done, that they're capable. And then an optimism for the day, and so again, if you, and I just used the example of having an argument at home, you had the example of violence uh, in the community. you know, so how do we basically teach and have a classroom culture in which children are optimism? And as as uh, Dr. Montenegro said, it starts with the teacher. It starts with a teacher who's optimistic, who can make that classroom and the students within it uh, a vibrant place that uh, that we are we are capable we are achieving and that that uh that the world is good
1: mm-hmm. dr montenegro I, I went to a conference actually last week uh that was put on by the civil rights project and they were talking about specifically student discipline and some of the research around um, student discipline and and, uh, some of the racial disparities that we see in student discipline. Um, And one of the things that one of the presenters said was um, instead of, you know, in the classroom asking a student, what is wrong with you? We should reframe that as what happened to you. Um, And even that, that simple shift is, it makes a significant difference in relationship building and um really connecting with children um no matter where they are kind of in the K12 world. What are your thoughts on that? Um is that the right approach from an SEL perspective?
2: Well, actually from just from my perspective, uh that you know in in our uh school districts, you know, we we have in many cases, a disconnect uh, between the diverse populations that are coming to our schools and the background and culture of the teachers, and sometimes these uh, these disconnects result in miscommunication and insensitivity, or what may appear to be insensitivity. In and so, when children come to school with a certain uh, framework and, and value system that differs from the you know, level of thinking and the, the value system of the teachers, it may be viewed as being disrespectful. And consequently, uh, we see a lot of suspensions, a lot of expulsions, a lot of disciplinary action, uh, really as a result of that miscommunication and those, those uh, those uh, you know, cultural norms that differ from one another. Uh, I think in, in the context of social-emotional learning, that it really does begin with adults developing those competencies that uh, Rob has discussed, uh, and one of the things that that is, I think, most critical, that even as we want to teach children self-awareness, adults also need to uh, exhibit. That level of uh, self-awareness and competency and and being able to interact and be empathetic and understanding of diverse populations and their particular their needs and challenges so I think that um, uh, teachers that really do recognize and understand and, and can even regulate their emotions and realize that there there is a difference in perspective that instead of reacting and saying well these children are not meeting our norms and our value systems and, and who's, you know, why don't they learn and, and, and become very punitive? But I think a, a teacher that has uh, uh, developed uh, that self-awareness, has developed those SEL competencies, I think uh, have a, a greater, uh, I think, ability to understand uh, the needs of children. They're more empathetic. They're, they're more engaging uh, with youngsters. They create an environment that uh, is sensitive to the diversity and and they seek out uh, to better understand, you know, what are these experiences these children are coming from and bringing to our schools rather than being uh, reactive. And so consequently, in in many districts where that doesn't exist, you see a high number of students being referred to special education, uh, being uh, put into remedial classes, but yet these kids may be quite capable of uh, performing at higher levels but there is just a terrible disconnect uh between uh, perhaps the teacher and not understanding uh, the issues that these children uh, come from you know ultimately there there is an the issue of safety and security and that that has to come into play there there you know i think there's a limit but most importantly i think that uh, adult competency i feel, Uh, uh, Competencies and SEL, competencies is very critical for them to create a better learning environment so students want to uh, participate, want to be engaged, and see school as a positive experience and not as a negative and hostile environment that they don't want to be a part of. Mm
0: -hmm. Um, Uh, Anybody who has uh, been a principal or an assistant principal Knows that there are teachers that send a lot of kids to the office, and then there are some teachers who all year long don 't send any hmm. and a lot of that speaks to that social and emotional skill of the teacher and and I want to second that you know above all, we have safety and security as a, a need in our school administrations, and which is why we have we have rules and, and discipline policies but you know when you when you take a look at most disciplinary actions, they don't start with what ended up sending that child to the office. Mm-hmm. Usually, it's the it's the communication or lack thereof, um, or or poor communication that happens once there's been some kind of conflict, and that conflict is generally pretty small. And you add to that conflict um, uh, emotional context that the student and or uh, a group of students and or a teacher are going through, and that's what escalates into making something that should just be a conversation into a disciplinary action Mm -hmm. much of the time.
1: I actually want to, to play an audio clip now. Um, as we're talking about student discipline. Um, this is a clip of uh from a recent story that was published in the Washington Post about the number of students that are expelled from charter schools here in Washington D C uh, and and how students are also kind of gently nudged out, out the door um of some schools when those Children don't necessarily comport with the educational program of the charter school. This clip is of a student um, who was um, punished for uh, behaviors in the school after she had transferred into the school. She had transferred into the charter school from a traditional public high school in dc Um, And she had been experiencing some behavior problems at the the traditional public high school, transferred into the charter school and began to, and and had academic success as well as behavior success, and then um, had a couple of of pretty significant setbacks in terms of her behavior in the school. I'm going to play that clip now.
0: It was just known to be a really good school. I had seen, like, statistics saying that they had had, a 100% acceptance
3: rate for their students to
0: college. I
3: applied. I was really excited to know
2: I got in. Elsie and her mom say that her behavior actually did improve. She was hopeful. She started applying to colleges. Then, with just six months of high school left, Thurgood records indicate Elsie came to school intoxicated. Then another day, she had an argument with the teacher. Then, she set off the school's fire alarm. The school said she had to leave.
3: Um, That was probably the hardest
0: thing I've experienced in my life so far. Uh, it was the middle of my senior year, and I just felt like I had been working so hard to get, like, to college and to get out of, like, the neighborhood I was in. It just, like, felt like all the work I did was gone to late.
2: Elsie withdrew so in the end. She technically wasn't expelled, but she went back into the public school system, which is where kids often go when they're expelled from charter schools. DCPS is
1: legally bound to take them. Alexis, I wonder if you, as a as a parent and community empowerment specialist, will, will talk about why it's important for um, parents and students to know about social-emotional learning, and especially in light of of what we just heard from Elsie um, and about Elsie's experience, Um, what is it there that that her family members could have done to support her and that a social-emotional learning environment could have done for her?
3: Wow. Well, I hesitate to speak about that specific family and, and that specific experience because I don't know, you know, all of the details. But, you know, I am hearing what I understand, and I, I believe to be true, that once you do reach school age, um, you know, the teachers and the in-school staff and, and contributors are the the starting point for, you know, school-based social-emotional learning, but ultimately it starts at home. Um, I know that the data shows that the first five years of life are critical to social-emotional development, so and our culture, you know, in most cases, those first five years are not school-age years. Um, You know, there is usually some level of social engagement, but the parent or, you know, some other uh, single caregiver within the community um, holds that, the onus, you know, the, the, it starts with them, and I think that um, any strategy for developing your children to be resilient Um, to learn how to deal with the ups and and downs, the highs and lows, managing through disappointments, Um, you know, staying in, you know, what we call in my household the happy zone. You know, you enjoy your highs, but you don't allow them to take you so far out of the realm of of what you would consider to be normal, that when things do return to normal, you don't fall into a depression just because the high of, you know, the, the honor roll for the first quarter has come and gone because guess what? The second quarter is here. You know, we celebrate our accomplishments as they come and go um, or as we move on from them to our next accomplishment. So, you know, relating to the clip that you just played, again, not knowing all of the story, you know, I can imagine that with all of the hard work that this young woman has put in and I'm sure the support that she was uh, benefiting from uh, during this process, you know it's just a matter of of resiliency of holding on of, of staying engaged and and keeping moving until you reach um you know the goal and in this case uh you know the goal I know she was aiming for was first graduation and then going on into college so it's unfortunate to know that somewhere along the line she um lost track you know she lost that focus and um you know I don't know specific advice on this one is is hard, Allison. Uh, But I do think that, you know, parents, it starts at home. It starts with the parents, and once they reach school age, yes, the teachers um, take a very strong role in in promoting the continuation of those social-emotional learning skills in that environment. Um, But it it starts at home, and even within those first five years, we have to be careful um, not to aim to develop mini-me's, you know, or clones of ourselves as we strive to teach, you know, confidence as we know it, you know, things that motivate us, the things that hold us um, and and cause us to be uh, respectful and caring individuals. Those same things may not motivate our children or may not be as successful in terms of, you know, strategic approaches. So it's important that we challenge ourselves to know our children as individuals and to join them in the, um, the lifelong journey, you know, at least through, you know, 18, 21 years old, you know, and maybe that would make the difference in the case that we just heard of where you embrace it as not something that's a one and done, but, you know, as a day-to-day process and how uh, we as parents and community caregivers can contribute to, you know, authentically finding what our children's strengths are and what motivates them toward um, the social and emotional balance that's going to promote their learning. Mm -hmm.
1: Dr. Montenegro there there have been significant racial disparities in exclusionary student discipline practices and uh including you know suspension and expulsion and as you touched on it's important for the adults in the building to um appreciate the diverse experiences of children and to be able to connect with children from a variety of different backgrounds and and um locations I wonder if you would talk about um the racial disparities that we see, and many times those racial disparities exist in um school districts mostly in the most subjective of offenses so um disrespect and uh, insubordination you know when children are talking back to a teacher or uh, not looking a teacher in the eye or you know very kind of subjectively defined offenses rather than more objective offenses such as bringing a weapon to school or or bringing and distributing drugs at school, have you seen an impact on on racial disparities in student discipline when using social emotional learning?
2: Oh, absolutely. Um, I think one of the most important factors of uh, implementing SDO uh, strategies school-wide or district-wide has a lot to do with uh, reconfiguring the discipline policy uh, to make it uh, uh, a little bit more inclusive, uh, make it uh, developmental. So a lot of times when children, quote, misbehave, that uh, they don't always know why. Uh, it's just that they don't follow school rules that they may not be fully informed of. But when you look at not only setting uh, standards and policies based on SEO competencies, then you change the fabric of the relationships. It, it's developmental rather than punitive. It, it's self-motivating rather than externally um, rewarding or punishing. But uh, what what I have seen, I know that um, uh, it, it's true in many different contexts throughout the country, is that when the teachers and when the administrators are really child-centered and they are very, very much dedicated to seeing to the children understand uh, the um, expectations and they're repeated regularly and they're, they're, they're modeled. And that's one of the things I think uh, social-emotional... Uh, learning does in a um, um, in an educational context is that adults model behaviors that they expect from their children, especially um, I've been in schools where uh, I've seen just recently in a classroom where the teacher is just screaming at the children and mm-hmm. bel- belittling them and, and you know, just saying, telling them to, you know, get out of my classroom. I witnessed that just not even a month ago in a district that I was visiting and doing some work with. And uh, it was just amazing because the behaviors of those children uh, were reciprocal. They reciprocated that. They yelled back at the teacher. They were disruptive. They were rude. They were, you know, uh, disrespectful to the teacher. And just down the hall, I went to a classroom with some of the same kids the next period, and they were very respectful and very cooperative because the teacher, I think, modeled Uh, those uh, competencies and did a very good job. But I think in terms of discipline, uh, Mm -hmm. there needs to be not only uh, school-wide but uh, district-wide dialogue regarding the expectations and the response to um, those disconnects that happen in our schools and how to treat children and how to work with children, how to help them become more aware and self-aware because a lot of times they can't control their impulses, and that's part of the competency is the children learn how to control their impulses. So they need guidance. They don't need to be punished, and especially they don't need to be sent home because what do they learn when they're at home, and what do they get involved with? And it's not usually good.
1: First of all, the phone lines are open, so we welcome our listeners to call in with your questions and comments. The phone number to call is 347 202-0911. Again, call in with your comments and questions, 347 202 one, one. Mr. Schamberg, on a recent show we talked about the difference between mental illness and disability for students. Mental illness is a legal definition that means that a person has acted criminally because of their mental state. Um, a student with a disability is not necessarily mentally ill. Uh, will you talk about that distinction and what it means for social-emotional learning?
0: I think, uh, you know, when we're talking about uh discipline and we're talking about uh, uh, school safety, I I think what we want to do is create that community where um, I I, I saw that you also had a a show on Youth Voice, which I'd like to listen to, but uh, uh, creating a community where children are looking out for their own safety. They're looking out for their personal safety, for the safety of others, for their friends, and also for safety in the community. And that is something that can be engendered by a school wide and district wide social and emotional learning um, program. Uh, to be able to say for for the for the students to be able to feel comfortable talking to an adult about what's happening with their friends. Um, now I'm not making the distinction between mental illness or disabilities in this regard, I'm saying that uh, a, a child in elementary, middle, or high school, if they, they know when something's wrong, they know when somebody's going to do something to hurt themselves or others. And the question is, are they willing to come forward for the good of the community, and is it safe and because they generally care about the, the, the child that might be, might perhaps be the perpetrator of violence. Um, and so they care about that student. Can they come forward and not get that child in trouble, but have that child, uh, get help, uh, help with their mental illness, help with, uh, over, not overcoming their disability, but working through and with Uh, with any disability. Um, So, you know, know, just to address your question, um, I want to talk about learning disabilities. There's the question of, is the student really understanding what is expected of him or her uh, in the environment? And that's an ongoing issue that, that we need to find the ways to work with a student with, a uh, learning disability to make sure that they, um, in fact, are learning, because that's what we're a school, that's what we're about, uh, and B, how are they part of that school community? The the child with a mental illness, um, we need to do a better job of, of making sure that we've identified those who are suffering from a mental illness and providing um a, a a caring treatment and a caring community and a community that ensures that that child and other children are safe uh if there's something very bad going on or or going wrong with that child mm-hmm.
1: and Dr Montenegro I wonder if you would address for specifically around the the clip that that we played earlier and um students in similar situations as Elise who um, may be coming from um, diff- difficult neighborhoods um, and who um, come to school and act out in a variety of ways a- a- acting out the stress that they feel uh, maybe you know, at home or in their environment and um, act out in ways that can be addressed in the school building how can SEL or social emotional learning help with addressing behaviors such as those that Elise expressed. Um, you know, pulling the fire alarm and and um, arguing with her teacher. What are some of the ways that social emotional learning will help to address behaviors such as those?
2: Well, obviously that uh, there's more to the situation than, than we probably uh, are aware of, but I would think that. Uh, these behaviors are very characteristic of children who are basically frustrated, uh, children who have not um, um, perhaps had those opportunities to really express themselves. Uh, uh, she uh, was seen to be very impulsive and, and reacting to stimuli that, that uh, may have just set her off. Um, you know, if, if the adults in the building, Uh, perhaps uh, maybe could have taken a different approach to helping to coach her, to helping to uh, uh, help her her understand uh, how her behaviors are affecting everybody else and impacting on everybody else. You know, we don't know all the circumstances, how many other chances or opportunities she may have had, but I do think that uh, being more proactive in our our schools and not necessarily reactive to student uh, conduct is is. One of the fundamental, I think, principles behind social-emotional learning, and that is, is that through explicit instruction in the classroom, the teachers can help students understand relationships, help them understand how to resolve conflict uh, creatively, help them understand that there are options to striking out and to pulling alarms and to arguing with teachers. If If a school does that, proactively ahead of time and with the uh, focus on explicit skills and competencies so that when those moments do come up, children have choices. They have a set of uh, values that they can reflect on. Mm -hmm. And there are are a lot of evidence-based programs that do promote explicit skills, uh, teaching children explicit skills that they can use in the moment in which they become upset or when they have a conflict, especially resolving uh, differences. There are, again, evidence-based programs that help children understand how to resolve their differences because if they get into a conflict and they only have impulsive ways of responding that they've learned and don't have any other options, then you're going to have children striking out. You're going to have children disrupting the school environment and not making it safe for others. So, uh, really uh, reaching out to children in a proactive way, teachers can do a lot more in their classrooms to make it much more engaging, much more cooperative. In fact, the focus on the common course is you have to change your instruction, the way you teach, not just the content, but the way you teach to prepare children for college and career and for the you know, 21st century skills. And that means the cooperation collaborative uh, structures, uh, student-centered, being able to um, think critically about problems and challenges and resolve them creatively that's in the best interest of all their peers and those around them in a very
1: responsible way. Alexis, what do you think that um, families can do? So in order to incorporate social-emotional learning in the household, hold but also to be able to work with educators and being a part of the community of support for for their children. Uh, what should parents know about social emotional learning?
3: Well certainly the, the work of the uh parents and and families in the home, as I mentioned earlier, you know, should start as early as possible and be as uh consistent and uniquely applied and, and developed based on what you know about your child as possible. Um, preparing them to be ready learners and contributors to a, a school or classroom environment. Now, exactly how they can impact, you know, SEL in the school, I don't know. You know, I, I think I want to defer to Mr. Schamberg on that one. You know, It, it seems that, um, and it makes sense that school-based SEL is most effective when it's an authentic component of the school's culture. And, you know, obviously parents and community members um, can and should contribute to that culture. Uh, You know, I think the reality is that time is not necessarily on the side of the greater good and the lasting impact of, um, you know, even the most proactive parents within a school system, and primarily because children advance. They move on to the next grade and ultimately to the next school, and they take their parents' focus with them. Uh, you know, which makes it challenging, I think, for a school-based SEL um, approach to be heavily impacted and sustained by, again, even the best of parent leaders. Um, I think I would assert that a highly functional PTSL, parent-teacher-student organization, you know, that offers um, some strong training and a leadership succession plan would help um, consistent success of school-based SEL, but, you know, Again, Dr. I'm sorry, Mr. Shamberg. What do you think? How can parents get involved and support what the schools are doing with SEL? Uh,
0: well, for one thing, let's consider that the, that that our children are only in school for six and a half, seven hours a day. Mm-hmm. There's another 17 hours in the day, and uh, and I think that there's some real low-hanging fruit for families, for our educational institutions, for our communities, and that is out-of-school-time programs. And so connecting with um, after-school programs, whether they're the YMCA or Boys and Girls Club or the museum, or uh, we need to find places where this this learning doesn't stop. And out-of-school-time programs, because they're not bound, by the same academic standards uh, that, you know, teachers are striving to to have their students meet during the day, there's there's such opportunity to have quality after-school, out-of-school time programs. uh, Coming up uh, this next weekend is the National Day of Service, uh, for example, and so, you know, parents organizing, using that example, Parents organizing within their community to give their children an experience of community service uh, and of, um, uh, of giving back to the community. Uh, and, and in so doing, teach students that they're part of the community. Um, teach your, your own children that you have a stake. You are part of making this. And and so, you know, that's, that's some, those are some things that parents can do. I also think that there's a change of focus that we need because a lot of this real violence is happening at high schools and uh, taking a look at, um, you know, what, let's, let's consider high school as 50% what's going on now and 50% of what's happening after high school, whether that's College, whether that's going into a career, all of these social and emotional skills they are what make you successful in college. It's one thing to get into college it's another thing to graduate and in this country, we talk about the graduation rate in high schools um, you know it's it's been stuck at about seventy five eight and and it's been climbing actually recently to about eighty percent, which is very exciting. But if you take a look at community colleges, uh, the rate of of students being successful in a community college and getting some kind of either an AA or or some kind of certificate, uh, maybe even a one year certificate uh, pointing toward a career, that number is less than twenty five percent nationwide, mm-hmm. and it and a lot of that reason is that that children that that young young adults are not able to cope with all of those stresses that they're hit with. And when you go when you step outside of that K twelve environment, it begins to take a look, it begins to look very nurturing. <laughs> Nobody after you leave a K twelve school is checking up, are you here every day? They don't call your home when you're not there. They don't provide transportation, food, nursing, all of those things that we wish we could do better, but we really need in high school to get our children uh, ready for the next steps. And a lot of that is social and emotional skills. They they may have a, a problem with math, but if they and, and they can still be successful. But if they don't have these skills, they can't they can't be successful. And it's up to parents, and the education system, and after school programs to Uh, to teach and to have students practice
2: uh, those skills.
1: Listeners can call in now at 347-202-0911 with your questions and comments. I actually have a a question that's been emailed um, to my email address at at allisonbrown.consulting.com. Sorry. Um, And the question is about... um, it's from a parent who says, I, "I just want my kid to be safe in school, and if there is unsafe behavior happening in school, I want the the unsafe behavior removed." Period. So, what do you say, Dr. Montenegro, to to um, people who say, "You know what? I I just want my kid to be safe in school. If someone is." disrespecting the teacher and distracting from uh, the lesson and disrupting the uh, classroom environment or, um, you know, otherwise making the school unsafe. I want them removed. I don't... There's no time for um, this kind of social-emotional stuff. I just want them out so that my kid can get the lesson that they're supposed to receive. What do you say to that?
2: Well, of course, uh, I think... um... Most parents do want their children to be in a safe learning environment so that instruction is not interrupted. And I think that there are laws in certain states that give the teacher the authority to remove children that are being disrupted and taken away from the instruction of other children. Um, I think schools need to be, um, like I mentioned before, a little bit more proactive Uh, They need to inform parents of their policies and practices, especially when it it comes to disruptive behavior and the overall safety and security of their children, especially after the recent incidents with schools and, and the shootings, that now there's just a heightened awareness about bullying, about safety and security, about having armed guards on their campuses. But parents need to be kept in the loop. They need to be told exactly what the the policies are, what the practices are, what are some of the things that they just absolutely will not tolerate. And in turn, parents should also be uh, expected to communicate that to their children and reinforce that information at home so that when they do come to school, they are also fully aware exactly what type of uh, behavior is no longer accepted in the classroom. Um, I do think that sometimes things do tend to get uh, blown out of proportion and an incident uh, may occur in a classroom that was uh, resolved effectively and also in the context of uh, developing those social skills, but yet it may be uh, communicated to parents, to their children in a different fashion it may seem to be a little bit more uh, serious than it actually was. And that's where the open communication comes in. So parents should feel comfortable about inquiring and calling in to the campuses, uh, to the schools, and even talking to the principals to make sure that uh, what they heard is uh, perhaps not the case or it was dealt effectively. And uh, in in schools, I've I've worked in a number of schools in which uh, we've had to do rumor control, had to do a little bit more aggressive work on public relations because things seem to get way out of proportion. But, again, focus on proactive communications, clarity on what expectations are in the classroom and when those incidents do occur, there is the immediate action in the context of a caring and a nurturing learning environment.
1: You can call in again at 347-202-0911 or um, you can email me at allison at com. I have another actually emailed um, question. This one is for you, Mr. Schamburg. will Will you talk about specifics, what have you seen in classrooms uh when you talk about the changes that need to be made to the physical classroom in order to support social emotional learning and some of the teaching practices specifically what did that what did those changes look like
0: you're, you're, when you talk about the physical classroom you talk about the facility um
1: I- I think it means what is the what kinds of things should teachers be looking to put on their walls what kinds of how uh, does the classroom you know so that it is supportive of SEL
0: Well uh what we want I would I would equate it with a child-centered classroom So uh what I'd like to see is certainly there's there's you know some of the social and emotional learning uh posters and such but way more important than that is student work. Is that we? I, I spoke earlier about self-efficacy. That the wall should be a place where student work is is presented, whether it's their artwork or it is their writing uh, or their mathematics, and that they're both receiving recognition. And it's also becomes an area for discussion and an area for improvement. So when we're in a classroom, we want to have, we want it to be a place where uh, children want to get feedback on their work so that they can improve. And again, that's a culture kind of a, a, a that's culture work that the that the teacher needs to do. Um, one other thing that's been very successful as far as in the organization of the classroom, is uh, many teachers are using PEACE areas, P-E-A-C-E. These are areas where if a student is feeling uh, upset uh, or stressed out, there's an area where they can go and uh, almost meditate or think about what's going on for them. And... uh, uh, and uh, perhaps there's some uh, spongy, and I'm talking about young children in this regard, there's some, some spongy uh, uh, toys that they can press on, and there's also reminders within the peace area. Here's how you belly breathe. Take a breath. Think about this, uh, and when you're ready, the, the child re-enters the class, so there's training in using that peace area. There's a there's a number of classes that also use peace paths, in which if two students have a conflict, a disagreement, there's there's a programmed way of of uh, of resolving that conflict without involving any adult at all. And so, when you've got a, a classroom with a very good culture around that. A uh, Peace Path. Uh, two students will, who just came in from recess, who had a disagreement, they'll go over to the Peace Path. One will say, when you did that, I felt this way. And the other student will say, well, they'll, they'll express themselves. Then they'll move toward a resolution. Then they'll move toward an agreement and an appreciation. And then they'll reenter the classroom. And, uh, and actually, on the Castle website, that's the Collaborative for Academic, Social, and Emotional Learning, and also on the Edutopia website, uh, there's links to videos that actually show um, show these kinds of activities, as well as the room arrangement. It, it would be a very interesting study uh, for the person who emailed in to go to Edutopia. Uh, dot org and look at their their uh, channel on social and emotional learning, and there's so many videos, and I would just look at all the classrooms there, and and, and you'd get a good picture of how, how a good SEL classroom looks. Yeah, one
2: of the things that uh, um, I just might add that um, uh, is a focus on cooperative learning, and that is that students work in pairs or triads and groups of threes or four, but the classroom... Physical layout is significantly different from the traditional rows and facing forward. Students are facing each other. Uh, They work collaboratively to solve problems, to uh, compare notes, to discuss topics and areas of concern. But they also um, learn skills and how to treat each other and to speak to one another. So teachers design lessons around affording students additional time than traditionally is done in the classroom to talk to one another and work one another and with one another and there's a, a, a complete difference in terms of the layout the chairs the tables uh, uh, usually there are tables of about four or five students around them and, and so there is, there should be you know significant changes in the way the classroom is laid out as well
1: mm-hmm. Dr. Montenegro, I wonder if you would speak um, for those educators who are listening who want to get some professional development and training for their schools in social emotional learning. What can they do?
2: Well, I, I would recommend um, taking a look at the Castle website. It's castle.org. Uh Edutopia also has uh, information. Um, you know, Rob and I work with Castle to uh, work with school districts, uh, but we are uh committed to those schools but i think that there are many programs evidence based programs that you can access through these websites you can tap into the different sources that are available and uh, especially those evidence based programs that uh, castle has endorsed recently so this is the, this, these are these are a couple of options that they uh, they could look into as well
1: Great, and this last question is for both of you. Um, Social-emotional learning is for everyone in the building, adults and children. How does that play out? What are the effects on the adults in the building, and what have you seen in your experience in terms of the impact on the adults in the building? Uh, Dr. Montenegro, you want to start?
2: Okay. Okay. Sure. Well, uh, I'll tell you that in addition to the classroom, we've been talking a lot about uh, adult behaviors and specifically with teachers, but it also goes uh, to all of the support staff, Uh, custodians, the way they speak to children, uh, encouraging them a positive uh, attitude towards children, even food service. Uh, When you look at a a school that has really internalized SEL uh, systemically, then you see uh, the serving lines where the uh, the cafeteria staff are courteous, respectful, they're encouraging, as well as security. They're they're not there to punish uh, children to catch them doing wrong, but they're there to encourage them to do right. I've even seen bus drivers uh, talking to children as they get onto the bus and telling them to study well and to go to college and to get a good education and. And uh, back to the cafeteria, I've seen cafeteria staff talk about brain food, you know, eat your vegetables and eat your food because it's good for you. And, and also, um, you know, administrators, I think that's probably one of the real, I think, critical areas is to have uh, the leadership on the campus, the campus administrators, the principals, assistant principals, to model Uh, SEL competencies and to build and maintain a positive and trusting relationships in that school because I really do feel that in spite of all the training the teachers go through, if your administrators do not lead the way and facilitate the implementation of SEL strategies within the school, it's just going to be haphazard or it's just not going to happen at all. So the leadership is very critical in setting the standard and modeling those behaviors that he or she would like to see the rest of the faculty and staff uh, also model as well for children.
1: Mm -hmm. Great. Well, Dr. Hector Montenegro is a District Systems Development Senior Advisor at the Collaborative for Academic, Social, and Emotional Learning, CASEL. You can find CASEL at www.casel.org. Rob Schamberg is also a form, is a former su- superintendent as well and is a senior district advisor for CASEL. He's worked closely with school districts, implementing SEL with fidelity. Thank you very mo- much to both of you for joining us today. Thank you. Real quick. I also want to thank my wonderful guest host, Alexis. Alexis, do you have any parting words for our audience today? Uh, Sure, Um, as
3: usual, ending on a note of um, empowerment Uh, Parents, we are educators and we are to be held accountable Um, Not so much or not exclusively by any outside or institutional entity But, you know, by the simple virtue of our calling to mold the next generation of our own family legacy Uh, School systems and as uh, Mr. Schamberg mentioned earlier, you know, out-of-school programs, extracurricular programs Athletic and artistic programs as well. You know, they all assess um, our skill sets, our starting points, and you know, they use different tools, different resources, different indicators. Um, but ultimately, toward the same goal of devising a track toward academic and civic and civic success. Um, sometimes these assessments hit the nail on the head, and sometimes they miss the mark by miles. I think most times, um, however, we find that these Standard and you know specialized assessments, they get close. And since our children's education, parents are far more important than a game of horseshoes. Close is simply not enough. And you know, I challenge us to hold ourselves accountable for bridging the gap um, between the close and the bullseye by empowering the learning, the social, emotional learning and development at home, um, facilitating an understanding of the value of SEL. Um, as it relates to the clear, connected value of classroom education um, in the real world, like applying math skills to our shopping experiences. And then, you know, working in partnership with the teachers so that the mega skills, or as they're also called the 21st century learning skills, um, are well-grounded in our children and transcend any specific experience or any specific classroom lesson and uh, work to support their full Social emotional development, you know, so that they are ready learners and effective contributors in school and and beyond.
1: Wonderful! I want to thank you all for joining us. You are now officially certified know it alls on social emotional learning. Go forth and share. Join us next Tuesday, January twenty second, when we will talk with Lori Henninger of the Interagency Network for Education and Emergencies about education in the world and what best practices in international education might also work here at home. Remember to follow Know-It-All, the ABCs of Education, on Blog Talk Radio. Follow me at Allison R. Brown on Twitter, find ABC on Facebook, and read my blog at alisonbrownconsulting.com. Have a wonderful week.